All right, so this week we uh, are Pasha Vayet Hanan. Pasha Vayet Hanan. So if you want to turn there, please do. That starts in it's in Deuteronomy, the second Pasha of Deuteronomy. Vayet Hanan, <clears throat> and uh, Vayet Hanan is <clears throat> unique in uh, the Parshiot, in the Torah portions. Um, first of all, what does Vayet Hanan mean? Anybody? Come on, some of you know. Kyle's not even in the room yet. Cause somebody, hurry up. And I pleaded, Va is and, and I pleaded. Of course, it comes from the first few words of the Parsha. Um, but there's a, a cool thing I like to point out in this. See this word right here, the Han part of Hanan? This word comes from the same, same root as the Hebrew word Hen. And the Hebrew word hen is the word for grace. So, and I pleaded, really if we kind of break it down into its elemental parts, can be I, I begged for grace or for, for favor. So Moses is at a place where he's, he's throwing himself on the, on the complete mercy and will of God having nothing to offer and asking for God to to acquiesce to his his request but there was no grace in the Old Testament right so um, that's why I bring it out just because it contradicts the, the way that we have traditionally thought about how God um, moves in the in the Tanakh now God doesn't acquiesce to his request so you could say see God is not graceful there's some interesting reasons why that that may be, uh, that we may or may not get into um, today. But Vayet uh, Hanan is interesting um, for a lot of different reasons. But it kind of is a Torah within the Torah. I mean, you got everything in Vayet Hanan. You've got Shema, which we say at the beginning of services, um, and which we should be saying every day. Um, we have uh, the Ten Commandments, um, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, you've got, I mean, it's, it's the Torah within the, the whole Torah. So if you just read Deuteronomy 3.23 to, to chapter 7 and where it ends, um, you would pretty much get the gist of the Torah. You really would. It, it's, it's really remarkable. So that being said, there's so much in here. We're not going to cover it all today. Um, but I want to hit a couple of points that I think are interesting and that... Uh, that, I, that have been helpful for me. So, um, before we start, Father, we bless you for your word, and we bless you for your Torah, and we bless you, Father, for, uh, for opening our eyes, as Psalm 119 says, you open our eyes to see the, the wonderful hidden things of your Torah, and Father, we thank you for, for even opening our eyes to Torah as a whole anyway. Um, when there are so many other people you could have called uh, to walk this walk 
so many other people that may have been more deserving, so many people that may have been more understanding and may have done it better, handled it better. And yet, Father, for some reason in your wisdom, you stirred our hearts. And we understand, Father, and we realize what an incredible responsibility um, carrying your word and being an image bearer is. And so we, we bless you, Father, as we, we dive into your Torah and ask that you, um, that you keep us accountable, hold us accountable for this precious gift that we have, and teach us, Father, let us grow into the likeness of Messiah um, that we partner with you to, to bring tikkun to this world. Through Yeshua, amen. Amen. So, uh, verse 23 of chapter 3, Moshe starts out and says, I implored Hashem at that time. Uh, and Moshe begins to, um, to ask God to let him uh, see the land, let him go on and, and see and cross over and see the land. And um, verse 26 says, But Hashem became angry with me because of you. And he did not listen to me, and Hashem said to me, It is too much for you. Do not speak with me further about this matter. Ascend to the top of the cliff and raise your eyes. Um, verse 28, But you shall command Joshua and strengthen him and, and give him resolve, and he will cross over and cause them to inherit the land that you will see. So we remained in the city, in the valley, excuse me, opposite Bet Peor. Um, so Moshe asked God for this, this favor, and God says, No. Um, you're going to see it, but you're not going to cross over. So Moses replies, and he's telling the people this, and he said, God was angry with me because of you. Now, we had talked last week about different ways to read Deuteronomy, right? So we can read Deuteronomy as like this ancient treaty covenant thing, uh, which is really good. Or we can read it as kind of Moses' last will and testament, which is also another good way to read Deuteronomy. Or we can read it as this is Moses' sending his kids out for the first time by themselves and he wants to make sure that they understand the gravity of what they're fixing to, to go into um, and so he's sounds like he's kind of putting the blame on them and uh, and kind of going well like it wasn't me right now and we can interpret it like that and go well Moses is trying to skirt out from blame he's just trying to get out from the blame God's mad at him because he's asking to see the land and so he's trying to now let's just think about that interpretation and I've had I have have had that interpretation for a long long time think about that interpretation um, Moses which Deuteronomy would later say is the most humble man on the earth now it's a funny quote because we say well Moses wrote the whole Torah so is Moses writing in third person going and Moses the most humble man right no of course not that's an editorial addition uh, from later or, or an addition from later but Moses is the most humble man on the earth he has been faithful to God and to these knucklehead children of Israel for 40 years in the desert he's dealt with their issues he's Moses ex examined not examined but illustrated his humility the the perfect example is him going up the mountain and saying please forgive them and if you won't forgive them, then blot my name out. Take, take my name out. In other words, if, if they're not going to survive, I don't want to survive either. That is the, that is the, the epitome of, of, um, of humility for Moses. And there's an interesting midrash about this. I don't know what I think about it yet. I read it this week and I've been kind of chewing on it. But it says, it, it talks about Moses 
having this conversation with God and God saying, no, no, Moses, remember you said to forgive the children, the children of Israel. He, God was going to destroy them and, and Moses said, no, don't. And God acquiesced and he said, okay, I, I won't. And he said, the, the, the Midrash talks about you, I acquiesced to you at that time. And so because of that, you're not allowed to go into the land. That was the deal we made. Now, if you want to go into the land, then you can go, but I'm going to have my judgment like I should have done in the first place on the children of Israel at the, at the golden calf. And Moses' reply, and this is a very bad you know, uh, approximation, but his reply was something like, God forbid, may it never be, and may there not even be a fingernail on one of the children of Israel harmed as they cross over into the land. That's, again, Midrashic or the, the Jewish way of explaining kind of what is, what is going on here. I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't believe that Moses is all of a sudden trying to shift blame to these people now that he's carried for all, all of these years. So was it the children of Israel's fault that Moses doesn't make it in? That's the question. Is it really their fault or is this just some kind of provocative way of, of writing? Well, whenever your kids are acting the fool and hanging from the chandeliers and tearing up everything in the house or they're throwing themselves on the floor, pitching a fit or whatever, and you react um, not in the fruit of the Spirit. I know that doesn't, that's just probably me that does that. None of y'all have ever done that. It's just me. But when that happens, whose fault is it? <laughs> the kids. Just straight up, no, just not even, no shame. It's the kids. So you see where Moses is kind of where his implication comes from ultimately as a parent we should have the self-control to to deal with it but sometimes you just don't sometimes it's that last little nerve and they're just jumping up and down on it like with a pogo stick right and so we understand again i've said this throughout our our whole whole torah portions last year i said it year before last i said it we've got to we've got to frame the torah in in a sense of a family that, that's, that's one of the main ways we frame the Torah is in a family. And when we read something and we go, well, like, that doesn't sound right. Think about it in terms of parents and children. Most of you have had children. You have children. You've been around children. You think about it in terms of a parent. Moses is a father to the nation of Israel, and they are his children. And man, their journey together, their life together sure sounds a lot like what it sounds like living in a house with a bunch of crazy kids, right? So... Uh, so they remain there and then chapter 4 starts out with a very familiar uh, refrain that we'll hear all throughout this Parsha now O Israel listen Shema right so Shema is um, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more as we get to, to chapter uh, 5 and 6 but this is something that we hear over and over and over. Shema to the decrees and ordinances that I teach you to perform so that you may live and you will come and possess the land Hashem, your God of your forefathers, gives you. So before, in the end of chapter 3, he says that Joshua is going to go in and Joshua will cause them to inherit. That's an interesting phrase. Cause them to inherit. And then here, Moshe says, listen and do the things that I'm telling you to do so that you will possess the land. Now, isn't it 
I thought it was God said it, I believe it. That's the end of the story. Isn't the land theirs? Hasn't God decreed and declared that, the, that Haaretz was theirs? So what is this causing to inherit and possessing business? Oh, you see, what well, this, is, this is the truth and the way the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, prosperity gospel that some of us grew up around is not the truth. Not that there's not truth in it, but it's not the truth. Because the truth is that God did promise Israel the land. But was he going to let them come in with their idols and their all their stuff and just we're going to take the ways of Baal, the Midianites that we read about a couple. Remember, they're in the Valley of Peor, which is where all this stuff happened, where you got Pinchas and where you got the Midianites and all this stuff is in this area. Are they going to just take all that stuff into the land and go, well, God gave the land. Now it's ours. We just come and do it however we want. It does not work that way. As a matter of fact, Israel only truly possesses the land when they are living by Torah all of Israel is in the land that's how Israel possesses the land think about modern day does Israel truly possess the land no there's, there's, there's some Jews there they have a government they can't even pray on their own holy mountain And the, 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 the implication here is that all of Israel settles in the land and lives by the Torah. That's how it's possessed. From a prophetic standpoint, I said last week, we can talk about a third temple and, well, oh, I don't agree a third temple. I don't, you know, or, or I, yeah, a third temple has to be built and whatever. And, and really, we're, we are fighting over something that really is none of our business in a lot of ways. It's not our business if a third temple is being built or not going to be built. We just get to stand by and watch. Israel is in the land, but they can't even pray on... Now, in Islam, Mount, uh, uh, Jerusalem is like the third holiest site in the world, right? But on Tisha B'Av, there was about 1,700 Jews that ascended the Temple Mount to pray, which is illegal. But the Israeli police kind of just let them, you know, kind of backed off. And um, Well, the Muslims had, they actually tore holes in the Alaska Mosque, Al-Aqsa Mosque, so that they, and piled rocks. They, the, uh, one rabbi I was listening to said, you went up a couple days before, and there were already rock, strategically placed rock piles where, the, where the, the Muslims could, get, could grab rocks and get behind cover and throw at the Jewish people that were praying on Tisha B'Av. As we talked about, Tisha B'Av is when the temp both temples were destroyed. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly hard day in Jewish history. And they don't even have the right to pray. I, some of you have been to Israel, you'll know this. If you haven't been, they tell you, even as a Christian or as a, as a Gentile visitor, when you go on the Temple Mount, don't move your lips. You're not allowed to bring any books. The Jewish people are not allowed to wrap tefillin. None of the things that accompany prayer are they allowed to do on their mountain. So Israel doesn't even really possess the land that it's in currently. 
from a prophetic standpoint, does any of that stuff need to happen for, for Messiah to come, for, for this thing to start progressing to the next phase and, and all of that? Yes. Yes. That this, this is the part, we're still in the redemption from Exodus. Israel still hasn't possessed the land yet. And we can see our, our salvation process, our being born again, our, when we follow Messiah. We follow this same pattern. We've talked about this, right? When we come to Messiah, he saves us without any of our own doing, just like God redeemed Israel out of the, in the Exodus. There's nothing they, they could have done. The Torah is not trying to earn salvation. It's not a means to salvation. It's how you act because you're saved, because you're redeemed, because you were in that family. Now you're in this family, and this family doesn't act like that. If you're going to live under my roof, you're going to act, you're going to live by my rules. Anybody ever said that? Heard that said, right? Again, parent, parent children. You, you act like this because of that that salvation because of that redemption and when you do that and you're in the land you're a light to the nations Israel and so it would behoove the nations to do everything that we could to make sure that Israel is back in their land and it we should be we should be promoting Torah obedience and Torah you know government and 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 um and Jewish people from all over the world making Aliyah, we should be promoting them to be back in the land. Because when the Jewish people are in the land, they inherit it and they possess it, then it is good for the whole world. Because they are the center of God's sacred space. I know that gets kind of stretchy. Well, I'm not important to God. Yes, we're important to God. But just like, in, but just like there's some pastors and then there's laity not everybody's called to be a pastor a speaker a teacher a leader whatever some of you get almost ill at the thought of having to get up and speak in front of people it's different callings we're not second to israel they just have a different calling than us and their calling is to is to be the covenant people god the center of the circle by which we're all blessed and which we all connect to god so shema israel the decrees and ordinances and this idea of possessing and uh, and inheriting you can name it and claim it all you want and if that works for you then please don't let me discourage you sit in this season of your life and name and claim the next season claim it until you run out of the oxygen and the energy to do it and I'm being, I sound facetious. I'm really not, like, legitimately and sincerely, I'm really not. Um, because I, I, we all know, I know wonderful people. I saw somebody post on Facebook yesterday. Um, this season you're in is coming to an end. And, and it's just like, it's the same, it's just the same junk. Like, I could get on Facebook right now and go, like, somebody has a headache, and God wants you to know he wants to heal your headache. Prophetic. No. Yeah, right, right. During sinus during sinus and allergy season. Like I and I'm I'm trying not I don't again, I don't want to hurt anybody feeling anybody's feelings or offend. But the, the biblical model is that God has given us promises. He has given us blessings to possess and to inherit. 
But as with all things, especially in the Torah, especially with, in my opinion, the way God works, there is a condition. We talk about free salvation, and it is free, but there's still a condition when we are saved. You have to surrender you. If you won't surrender you, that's the condition. There's condition for possessing and inheriting that is to, to Shema, the decrees and ordinances, and to perform them. And I love the way the Torah talks about performing. Performing meaning to do, but also when you, if you've ever been in a performance, um, you've ever been in a play or you've been in a, a, a skit or anything like that, um, it's not something it, it's something that's more than just what you ordinarily do there's a there's a dress about it there's a there's a an excitement about it there's something about it that's just makes it more special than just your run-of-the-mill average average day-to-day occasions and I love this word perform because I don't believe God just wants us to do the commandments <sighs> I got a 13 year old I'm getting that response down pretty well as I imitate her bless her heart she's great but she's 13 Bella could you go change the clothes over <sighs> get your butt up and go change it that's what her mama says to her um, I'm joking um, but not just to do the commandments to perform the commandments to perform the mitzvot which is, which is why on a Rev Shabbat, why we, sometimes we may dress a little nicer, why we, we may light some nice candles, why we cook a, a meal that's special for that night, why we bake challah bread and we, we have everybody together at the table and, and it, it's a special thing because we're performing the commandments. We're not just doing them like, well, I don't have time, I'll just, you know, I'll just whip something out. No, it's a performance and it's not just the Sabbath, and it's not just the feast, and it's not just kosher. It's, it's how we treat one another. That whenever we, whenever we, we are, are using equal weights and measures in our business, or whenever we're doing any of the things that the Torah commands, is it something, is it a drudgery, or is it something we get to perform? Because when we perform the commandments, you realize we're bringing the light of heaven into the world. When we, when we do a mitzvot, when we do a mitzvah, we are literally bringing the divine light. We're bringing a little bit of order to this broken world. We're participating in tikkun olam. So it's not something that should just be done haphazardly. We should be careful to perform all of the commandments that apply to us and that we can. So verse 2 of chapter 4, oh, this is a big one. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor shall you subtract from it. To observe the commandments of Hashem your God that I commend you. All right. Did you come up with an answer since Wednesday night? No? Okay. So, by the way, we have a Bible study on Wednesday night. For those of you that are in the area and don't come, tisk tisk. Um, no, but it's good. We talked about, spent a lot of time talking about this verse uh, Wednesday night. There is an epidemic among Hebrew roots people messianics and in other words I hate the labels y'all know that but non-Jews that 
that come to interpret and to follow Torah. You understand, right? Us. Christian Torah pursuant people, whatever. And I do still get the question, like, what do we call ourselves? I don't know. Just fumble your way through it. Um, but there, there is an epidemic that we, we lock on to this, this verse and this idea about adding or taking away. And, and at first and usually our aim is at the church, right? Because the church added, um, they added and took away a lot of stuff. They added Christmas and they added Easter and they, you know, they added all this stuff that's taken away. And, and then what happens is when we come into Torah, we're already mad and butthurt about the way that the church has done us. So we look at the Torah and we look at the Jewish people and we look at the rabbinic wisdom and all that kind of stuff and say, well, if my religion did this, then their religion must have too. And, and then we, we interpret the Gospels as Yeshua talking about hand washing or about all this kind of stuff and saying, see, those are the man-made traditions that the rabbis added to the word and that is what Yeshua is speaking against. And then we have teachers, albeit, and I know many of them, wonderful hearts, great intention, but they further stoke this divide. Where, and then sadly, sadly when, when, when Christians come into Torah, the first teachers that they run into are not maybe Messianic rabbis, or they're not, they're not people that value Judaism. They're largely they classify themselves as Hebrew roots teachers that that downplay and even scandalize the value of Jewish tradition so with this idea of adding to and taking away is what the church has done traditionally is that adding to the word of God don't answer I'm going to answer for you (laughs) You'll probably disagree, but that's okay. Is what the church has done, is that adding to the word of God? Is what Judaism has done, is that adding to or taking away from the word of God? There's a, there's a big misunderstanding about tradition. 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 Is that, um, was that fiddle on the roof, right? Um, there's, there's a big misunderstanding about tradition. Again, because most of us come from traditions that have hurt us or that have at least not fed us, right? We come from those traditions and then we turn and we, we go, what else is out, is, is out there? Oh, well, there's, there's the Jewish tradition, but like, oh man, that's just a bunch of tradition, traditions also. But you know what? Even in denominational Christianity... If you go like, I don't really, my Baptist tradition is not working for me. I'm going to go check out the United Pentecostal Church. You know what? They have a bunch of t- traditions too. They're different than yours. They're still traditions. Oh, well, then I'm going to go to assembly. That might be kind of more. Well, no, they still have traditions as well. Well, then I'm going to go like, I'm going to go Lutheran because that's just who's like nobody's Lutheran right around here. Uh, there are. I'm joking. Um, but like that's, but it's just, it's, it's tradition. So what are traditions and where do they come from and, and how, do, how, how should we see them in a more healthy light. And, and Kyle could talk a lot better about this, but this, we can talk about it a little bit more after, 
live stream if we want. But what we have to understand is that every time you crack open this book, every single time, any person, I don't care who you are, you can sit there with your legs, with your, with your uh, arms and your legs crossed and say, not me, Mm-mm, not me. Yes, yes, you too. Every time any one of us opens this book and begins to read, we are engaging in another process that we don't even know we are. And that is the process of interpretation. Every time any human being reads this book, you are not just reading it for what it says. I know we all like this. Well, I just, I just read the word for what it says. No, you don't. You don't. Sorry. None of you do. I, you're, I'm, not, I'm not judging your intention. I'm not saying that you're, you're... I know you believe that, and that's what you want. We all want. We all want to read it for what it really says. But the truth of it is that, that we, we can't do that. It's impossible to do that. Every time we read it, we're not just reading, we are interpreting. Every word, every sentence you read, you are interpreting. How are you doing that? How does that work? Well, because you have experiences that are ingrained into how you think about the world. And you take those experiences to the text. Some of you in here could walk outside and go, man, what a beautiful day. And some of you, or us, could walk outside and go, yeah, but man, this sure is hot. I see some clouds. It should be a nice breeze. That would be nice. Right? We, we all have ways of approaching life that is fed by our experience it's fed by how we're, how we're wired, generally. Two young, young children that haven't really had many experiences can react to the same thing very differently but just because of how we're wired. All of, all of that and so much more we bring to the text when we read it. I'm sorry, we do. You, could, you can read it in the original language and you're still going to be engaged in the process of interpretation. Interpretation feeds tradition. Interpretation feeds tradition. I, I've said this before, and I, it's so comical to me now in a really innocent way. But I think I talked about this last week. Growing up Southern Baptist, I remember like, you, if you didn't know what we believed, walk out in the foyer, there's a statement of faith hanging on the wall, just in case, so you remember what we believe so that you can stay one of us, right? And any time you detract from that, you can't be one of us, so they put it in the foyer. <laughs> um, and then I, I came out of that into a more kind of Pentecostal, kind of spirit, spirit-filled spirit uh, tradition where really kind of nothing meant anything in some senses, that everything was up to your interpretation and that was all good, and but everything was spiritual, which means nothing meant anything, right? Everything... Everything could be manipulated. And, and, so, and I got really burnt out on that really quick because the way I'm wired, I need systems. I need, defi- I need definitions. I need clear and clearer structure. And so when God opened my eyes to Torah, I thought, yes, finally. 
there's, there's a part of the book that I've never read before that's like a whole list that just tells me how to love God and how to love people. I didn't even know this was in here. This is exactly what I've been looking for for years. It's not this person's opinion or that person's opinion. I don't have to pray about it. I don't have to, like, it's just a list. There's 613 of them that tell me how to live every, 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 every area of my life. And my sense was gratitude and and. But I was also like, now I can kind of hit autopilot. And I can just do these commandments. And then I'll just, it'll just look like I'm loving God and loving people. Awesome. But, but then you start studying the commandments. And as most of us start, we start with honor the Sabbath day. Thou shalt do no work on the Sabbath day. Well now. What is this work you speak of? So we do a word study. And Malach is not real clear. Like we, okay. So we go to a, a teacher. And they have their opinion about what work is. And so you go to another teacher, teacher and they have an opinion. But this opinion and that opinion is not the same opinion. Oy vey. So we try to figure it out. Lastly, maybe begrudgingly, we go to the rabbis and we look at what Judaism has talked about work. And there's 39 things you can't do. And we're like, I don't even have a wire up around my house. I don't even know what that means, the A-roof. Anyway. My point is that the Torah is not black and white. In one commandment, Thou shalt do no work on Shabbat. That one commandment has been the, the cause and the, 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 the impetus for hundreds and hundreds of years of study and debate and interpretation. Just that, that one. And that's the one most of us are introduced to. How in the world do we think we're going to understand Parada Aduma, the red heifer, or some of these other, like we don't even understand tithing. We can't even understand the Sabbath. We're not going to understand tithing. Like, it's just, it's nuts, right? So, so what happens? Communities come together. Tradition arises out of community. Tradition doesn't start with one person generally. That's not a, a tradition is communal. Tradition arises out of interpretation. This is the way we see that this passage of Scripture should be lived out. That's what tradition is. Most tradition is. It's how we interpret living out the word. And then other people go, oh, well, like, yeah, I, I, like, I agree with that interpretation. Okay, well, come join me and we'll do it together. And then along the way, you pick up other people that agree with your interpretation or y'all's interpretation. That's real Southern, y'all's interpretation. And, you, and you form, it forms a tradition. Tradition is based, I believe, mostly on a sincere attempt to understand and to put into action the Word of God. Now, are, are some traditions really dumb? Yeah, I mean, I think so, but they're not my traditions. <laughs> they're not something I would agree with anyway. The, so since tradition is, is a result of, of interpretation 
What's the problem with, where's the problem come with, with tradition? Well, the main problem, in my estimation, with tradition that is, is out, comes out of an interpretation, and again, we, here's the really ironic thing about it. We come into Torah and we go, oh, tradition is the devil and it's everything that Jesus preached against. He was solo scriptura. No, he wasn't. He was an observant Jew, which means he observed a lot. He had observed the Jewish customs. But we come guns blazing about tradition. Oh, Christian tradition, rabbinic tradition. We're like, we're like, uh, we're like a Torah Rambo, like just oh, no to tradition. Oh. And all that time, you know what we're doing, and we're so arrogant we don't even realize it. Creating our own traditions. <laughs> Yikes! It's crazy. So, so then, what is the potential problem of tradition? And the the problem of tradition is whenever my tradition, our tradition, because of the way we interpret and and have the right intention of walking out scripture, the way we interpret and walk it out. When we take our tradition and we look at another tradition and say, no, you have to do it our way. If you don't do it our way, then you can't access God. You, you understand the, the, the difference? No, you, no it's, it's your way. That's fine. Let it be what it is. Be happy that God gives you the room to interpret in community and, and, and come up with a, tra- you know, and develop a tradition and be happy in your tradition. But why do we feel like we have to export our tradition to everybody else? It's not everybody. Because you know what? The reason why we have a certain traditional observance of the Torah right now is because of our shared experiences and the way that we interpret Scripture. And the, the beautiful thing about tradition and about this is that if it were just up to me to set the mincha or the tradition for OAM, that would be very dangerous. Because it would all be based on the way I interpret Scripture, which is based on my experiences and my understanding and my personality and the way that I'm wired. You don't want that. Ask my wife. See? told you she's very honest and very quick to respond but you don't want that you know what you call that a cult what we have and what we are developing and this is for every this is for every synagogue this is for just about every church this is really organically the way that it goes is that I have a view of scripture of a, of a way that something should be walked out but Miss Janice, for instance, has a, has a lot more wisdom and more experience and has maybe spent more time studying something. And she can go, yeah, I don't think that's right. And, and where I, I may be over here going like, this is the way, she may go like, no, why don't you come this way? Now, I'm not going to come all the way to her side because I'm not her, Right? But she's going to pull me and balance me away from that. And then somebody else can say, oh, yeah, I like that. But I also think this. Oh, well, that just, you see, tradition develops in a community where there's accountability and there's balance. That kind of tradition is a beautiful thing. And not only a beautiful thing, can I say and offer up that tradition is necessary for living out the scriptures? 
Because without this thing called tradition, how, how do you live out the scriptures? What does that look like? Tradition has become this curse word in, in some of our lives, and it need not be. Because without tradition, again, so many people that rail against tradition, you have traditions. <laughs> You're creating traditions. Oh, well, we, uh, we, don't, you know, we don't do this or that. We believe this and that. Great. That's your tradition. That's a tradition you're creating. Oh. Come on. Let's be honest and let's be, let's be genuine about what we're doing. So let's answer the, or try to answer the question. Is that what's being discussed and prohibited in, in chapter four here? Adding to or taking away? I think it depends on how you view tradition. If you view tradition as a, a man's desire to want to believe and want to make the word of God say something then I think that's adding or taking away if, if, if I have a belief and I'm going to make the word of God say that so that I can enjoy my, my you know my habit or my whatever that's something completely different than a community coming together in accountability and humility and trying to understand the word of God and walk it out together where it includes people and brings people into the conversation and brings people to the throne of God rather than being weaponized against people and saying, oh, well, you don't believe like we do. You're out. And you know what? There's going to be a lot of people that come through OAM and they're going to be out. But it's not going to be because we push them out. It's just going to be because their interpretive tradition is different. And you know what? That's completely okay. We have to bless them coming in and then bless them to go out and find a group that fits their interpretive tradition. So I, I don't believe that tradition is what we're talking about here in chapter four. Now, Yeshua did rail against some tradition, but again, as we kind of have talked about in the Gospels, why is Yeshua railing against a tradition? For example, washing hands and things like that. Why is he talking about those things? Because the Pharisees who were doing those things, which were his people, the Pharisees who were doing those things were using it as a way to keep people out instead of as a way to get people in. And he was, it was about hypocrisy. Oh, you have all the traditions, right? And that's all great, but you don't love people. So the... The, the issue Yeshua has is not with the traditions itself, it's the place the tradition holds in the lives of the people and of the leadership and how that tradition is being used. It's not being used to live out the kingdom and to restore people around and, and, and grow the borders of the kingdom. That's not what it's being used for. It's being used to keep people out. One interesting fact, and one, I know one example, I shared this on Wednesday night, one example of a blatant adding to the word. This is probably as blatant as you can get. So we read in the Gospels about these people called the Samaritans, right? Samaritans. And we know that the Jewish people in the Gospels hate the Samaritans. And, and we don't know why. 
Well, I mean, well, because my pastor said they were like mixed breeds. They were like dogs. They're like, that. that's great. But does it, do you know why that is? Do you, does anybody understand the history of the Samaritans? So like super quick, like this is the Cliff Notes version of Cliff Notes version. So after Solomon, the kingdom was divided, right? North and south. Judah and, uh, Judah and uh, Benjamin, a little bit of Levi in the south. Other ten tribes in the north, right, of Israel. Split kingdom. Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Um, the king over the north, I can't even remember which one is it, Rehoboam or Jeroboam, doesn't matter. King over the north, it does matter, but not for this. Says, hey, don't go down to Jerusalem. Come and worship at Dan and Bethel. We'll set up golden calves at Dan and Bethel. Hello. Neon lights should have been going off. Like, I remember this in our history somewhere. Oh, well, let's go. The, the interesting thing about that is Dan is up in the north. It's a ways from Jerusalem. Bethel is like, it's like right there. Jerusalem's like, oh, no, look, it's over there. But he said, it's too far to go. Come to, come to Dan and Bethel. And what ends up happening is that um, when the Assyrians conquer the northern kingdom, the Assyrians uh, bring in other people into the northern part of Israel. They also import priests that are not Israelite priests, as well as some Israelite priests. And they begin to mix the Israelite, the Hebrew Torah, with all these other national stuff and, and, and all of this. And... The, this became the Samaritans and they actually wrote their own version of the Torah the oldest as far as I know the oldest complete Torah that exists is a Samaritan Torah the Samaritans are still alive today in Jerusalem there's a community of about 300 of them they have a temple they actually still do sacrifices um, and the, the, uh, their Torah they have their ten commandments but they added an eleventh one remember when Yeshua was dealing with a Samaritan woman and she says our, our ancestors say we worship on Mount Gerizim that's commandment number eleven thou shalt worship on Mount Gerizim and that practice is still involved to this day. That's adding to in a really stark sense. So my, my conclusion to this part is that I don't have an answer for what exactly is adding to or taking away. But we need to be careful that we say that tradition, whether Christian, oh, I know that hurts my feelings, whether Christian or Jewish or anything on the spectrum in between, we need to be careful to say you're adding to the word and accusing people of adding or taking away from the word. It's, it's not that simple. It's not ever that simple. So before we pull that card and say, well, they're just adding to the... Just, it may not be your interpretation, and that's okay. Um, all right, let's move on a little bit. Um, I didn't mean to spend that much time on that, but we did. You're welcome. Uh, sorry. Um, and if you have questions or you have comments about that later, we can talk, talk about it. Um, okay, so verse 5. We've got, this is just amazing. Um, verse 5 of chapter 4. See, I have taught you decrees and ordinances um, as Hashem, my God, has commanded me to do so in the midst of the land to which you come to possess it. And I... I've said this before, this is a phrase we cannot ignore. I have to be very, I want to be very careful how we talk about this. But if you notice throughout the Torah, this phrase, in the land, in the land, when you come into the land, in the land, in the land, in the land, we have to realize, and we have to just remember, 
that as excited as we are about Torah and as about as as dogmatic as we are about Torah um, as belligerent militant as some of us want to be and are about Torah we have to remember how far removed we are from really what it truly means to keep Torah that's going to hurt your feelings I don't mean for it to but it will Torah was given to Israel now somewhere back in your bloodline you might be one 614th Israelite I don't know maybe so you might we might be some of the lost tribes it's a possibility it's an explanation as to why we feel called to this and everybody else is like no I don't think so we may have Jewish we may be Naphtali we may be I don't know but in a strict sense the Torah was given to a nation called Israel that's not us kind of one strike against us number two there is a people that was preserved out of Israel called the Jewish people and Jewish doesn't only mean they're from the tribe of Judah it means they were people in the Roman era that lived in the area of Judea so I know I have conversations all the time well the Jewish people are just the tribe of Judah I used to teach that it's not exactly accurate in the Romans they called that land Yehudi and anyone who lived in that area and there were people from all the tribes they were called Jews so you may walk up to a Jew today and go oh you're from the tribe of Judah and they go well, like no I'm a Benjamite well like why are you called a Jew well because they, they came, their ancestors came from that part of the land not from that tribe necessarily right okay so these people were preserved out of this Israelite covenant but God said over and over and over and over and over commandments in the land that's how you possess and inherit right commandments in the land well we're not Israelites we're not Jewish we don't live in the land are you kind of starting to see why the church at large has said well the Torah is not for us right and to a point they're, they're kind of right the Torah is not for us this is why Jewish uh, rabbis will say well Gentiles don't you don't have to keep Torah and we as a matter of fact we don't want you to keep Torah <laughs> and we're like they don't want us in their party no it's not that it's that we weren't entrusted with it like they were and like we're gonna mess stuff up we like it just happens right um, so so there's a there's a lot of reasons why really from a biblical perspective and a historical perspective we shouldn't keep the commandments however and I've, I've been told all these things by other by Christians and Jews so I've had to come to a what does that mean and and I was told by a rabbi one time I was explaining you know like oh I'm so excited about the commandment and he goes no nah, you, sh you should just let us Jews handle that and I was like okay um, and it really hurt my feelings and and the question I have to continue asking myself is like yeah but there's a there's a fire shut up in my bones about this though right like none of us would have come to this on our own you're not just like playing solitaire on your phone or ever merge or whatever you play I don't know um, you're not just playing and you go you know what I think I want to completely alienate my entire family how can I do that oh look here's my bible let's start looking for ways 
Like none of us have done that. None of, none of us have done that. I want to really seem like an arrogant, pompous, you know what. So let me see what scriptures I could use to make myself look like that to everybody and anybody. I want to get kicked out of my church that my family's been a part of for generations. How can I make that happen? No, that's not the way this went. That's not the way this went. This was a, in my opinion, and I believe it's true, this, this is a divine call that God literally puts his finger in our heart and begins to stir all of what we are. And we come to this, which puts us in a weird place. And it has for messianics for a long, long time. And so we need to be comfortable in this space. By all accounts, we shouldn't be trying to keep the Torah. Jews outside of the land, a lot of them don't even try to keep the Torah because they understand we're not in the land, it's for the land. However, if we understand, and this is my point, I think if we understand that none of us are keeping Torah, we have to remember that. We have to remember that. And that might discourage you. It might make you think, well, then what are we doing? We're, we're rehearsing these things. We're practicing these things, knowing that we're not getting it right all the way. We're not doing it right all the way. We're practicing and learning because this is the constitution of the kingdom. And when, when the kingdom fully comes to earth and Messiah is ruling and, and Hashem is back on the earth and it's the Garden of Eden all together again, the earth is going to look a lot like Torah. Because Torah is the Garden of Eden, in a sense. So what we're doing is familiarizing ourselves with the constitution of the coming kingdom, knowing that we don't have it all right yet. Does that make sense? I hope that doesn't discourage anybody. But just if you think we're keeping Torah, then you have a different set of expectations that usually makes you obnoxious and arrogant because you're keeping Torah and nobody else is, right? So we're, we're all... We're all trying to figure this thing out together. So, um, decrees in in the land to possess it. We're back in the Torah now, uh, chapter four, verse six. Um, yeah, so, so I tell you, there's a lot. We're we're not even through the first part. Um, you shall safeguard and perform them. Safeguard and perform. What does safeguard sound like? Like what pops in your head when you hear the word safeguard? Protection, Protection right? Like, I see a picture. Does anybody see a picture when you're there at Safeguard? Do you have a picture of anything? Guardrails is what I think. Soap. So, oh, the brand Safeguard soap. I was like, wait a minute. Where are you going with that? Okay. Touche. Um, I see guardrails when I think protection uh, or like a, or a, a baby gate, something like that. A fence is protection, Right? So when we, when we understand that the Jewish people have set up fences around the Torah, we go, well, why did they make those man-made laws to put around the Torah? Because the Torah tells them to. It's kind of, okay. Um, to safeguard and perform them. See, what you have to understand is that if you're going to try to discount Jewish tradition and understanding, just like we're Christians as well, the Jews have been at this a long time. Not only have they been practicing it a long time, they have had to defend their practice at the threat of death for centuries. Right? So you're not going to say, 
and it's really, again we're so arrogant we're going I'm going to tell them like it says not to add to or take away that'll show them I'm going to tell the Jewish people that they've been adding to and taking away and they're going to be convicted and turn back to the true Torah and they go like what are you talking about because they're on such a different level of understanding than we are because this is their culture so okay um, that horse is just about dead so um, so to perform them listen this is awesome for it is your wisdom and discernment in the eyes of the people we talk about this wisdom this hurt my feelings so bad this week okay so verse 6 you shall safeguard and perform them for it is your wisdom and discernment in the eyes of the people who shall hear all these decrees and who shall say surely a wise and discerning people is this great nation for which nation that has a God who is close to it as is Hashem our God whenever we call to him and which is a great nation that has righteous decrees and ordinances such as this entire Torah that I place before you today so read this I was trucking along yep good good got it and I started to read about wisdom it is your wisdom from among the peoples around you how how many times has our attempt at Torah observance what I'd like to call Torah pursuance how many times have I, has our Torah pursuance been viewed as wisdom and discernment to the people around us yeah I know it's not fun huh I don't, I don't even need a whole hand to count the number of times somebody's probably looked at my Torah pursuance and went wow that's really wise but it's not because of the Torah let's make sure we understand it's, it's not even maybe so much the way we pursue it but it's the way we talk about our pursuit of the Torah again either we come off really obnoxious or really arrogant and so it's, it's so important I think it's so important in the first 10 years of your Torah observance 10 years is a long time but I think it's important the first 10 years just keep your mouth shut thank you amen yeah no it it really I mean 10 years you're gonna be you're gonna be in a different uh, such a different place in 10 years of of studying Torah than you were in at the 6 month mark that you're not even gonna recognize yourself and what's gonna happen is that you are gonna gain more knowledge you are gonna gain more but you're gonna gain more wisdom and what probably is most important you're gonna gain more temperance holy cow that's something we don't talk about at all make a note that we need to do a study on temperance because we don't talk about temperance at all no okay you zealot zealots don't zealots are really low on the temperance scale but but we are as you grow come on some of you are how many of you said like my parents are you know your dad got old man he used to be a you know he used to be that but his old age he's really calmed down right well what's happened he's been tempered He's, he or she, your mom or whoever, they've learned that just some stuff is not worth fighting over. There's just some stuff, that, and they're tired. Yeah, that has a lot to do with it. But some stuff is just not worth even getting worked up over. Many, many of you in this room, you guys are living examples of this. There's stuff that I lose my marbles over that I know I, talk, I mention stuff sometimes, and Miss Janice is like, why? Or Miss Jennifer, the other day we were talking about my yard, and like, I want it looking a certain way, and she's like, why? Like, because it has to. Why? Who said 
Like there's just certain things, and I love that process. That's a beautiful part of, of growing older and more experienced. And, and that's going to happen in your Torah walk as well. I used to fight over the name. Oh, I fought over the name and the calendar and the, oh, I loved having those fights. I love telling the church and fighting with church people over God's name. They didn't care two iotas. They had no, no, I'm, oh, I'm coming in blazing. Like, what the, they have no desire to even know. They don't care. I didn't fight with any Jews because they just mopped the floor with me. So, but I used to care so much about all that stuff. And, you know, we don't even really talk about that. We'll ask questions and talk about it, and that's fine. That's great. But, like, I'm not arguing over the shape of the earth. It's whether heaven's coming down to a sphere or a disc or a pear or a donut, heaven's still coming to the earth. I just want to be around when it comes. Like, I don't care what it looks like. Doesn't matter. Okay. So until Torah, until the observance of the mitzvot or the pursuance of the mitzvot can look like wisdom and discernment to the people around us, do it quietly and do it passionately for you and your family. But just be careful how out loud we are about it. And that contradicts our nature because most of us come from evangelistic backgrounds, right? Evangelistic. How many people have you told about Jesus today? In Sunday school, did you get a sticker for if you told a certain amount of people about Jesus? You got stars and stuff? Everybody. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course you lie to meet your quota, obviously. You inflate your numbers. You know, we, yeah, we teach that to like, you know, we teach that to old six-year-old children in, in Sunday school. They learn how to inflate their numbers. I mean, come on. But... But we're evangelistic, and that's our... Uh, I know how hard it is for me to tell... For you to receive this idea of, like, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Yeah, but people need to know. No, 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 they don't. Well, they need to know, but they don't need to know the season you're in right now. Because you don't even know enough about the season you're in right now. You're going to mess stuff up. Am I right? Thank you. So you understand? So it's against our evangelistic nature to hear just do it and don't talk about it. Just shut up about it. And when people ask you and go like, oh, you're going to Saturday church, you Jew or something? It's so hard for us not to just like, I'll just show you Jew or something. It's so hard for us not to lead. But you know what? Like, just go, Yeah whatever they don't care they couldn't even con- there's a quote i can't remember right now there's a quote about um about don't don't argue with people about stuff they they're not even able to comprehend i'm not belittling them god hadn't opened their eyes it's not their fault i'd still be them if god hadn't opened my eyes and not like a better or worse thing just different right so zip it you'll be a lot more at peace and you'll actually your family will be a lot more at peace and the walk will become more enjoyable if you do it for him instead of for the mission field right this is not a tool to evangelize the church the church has their shtick and most people are happy with it and you know what if God hadn't done anything about it who in the world am I to think I need to go in there and start kicking down Sunday church doors and telling them the truth God rocked my world. He can rock theirs. 
If he hasn't, that means I need to know my role and stay in my lane and let him do him. And I do me. Man, isn't, that, isn't it nice to be in that place? I got so tired of being so angry at everybody about everything. Like, calm down. Simmer down. It's fine. You do, you're right. You're absolutely right, Brady. You, we do have to go through that season. Every, everybody does. What I want to hopefully, and why I think OAM is so cool, is because we have a community that can do this together. And so people that are newer in that kind of, you know, 8 to 10, 12-year mark, you can hear this. And, and you can have people around you going, no, really, like, listen, it's true we've been there done that you know what i mean it's so much easier to do it like this than it is all by yourself where you have to make these mistakes by yourself and, yeah a great point Heather. And, and hopefully that'll shorten that time it'll accelerate your wisdom you, you know your learning it'll accelerate that man that's what this is about that's an this is an awesome thing it, it really really is and i know you guys know that i just i just had an epiphany so um a wise and discerning people just a beautiful passage of what what this what the Torah should do in our lives with the the spirit of God moving through the Torah and all you know in light of Messiah and the whole thing coming together it's just 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 should be what it should be um all right so really quickly oh uh, oh shucks 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 um so return in exile so Moshe <laughs> Moshe returns about when, when you get into the land and you become prosperous and it's great and then you start turning to other gods, right? Um, then God's going to kick you out of the land. But don't worry, when you get kicked out, you're going to seek him and you'll find him. Hoorah! And you'll come back to land. I always kind of thought of this as like a Moses is having a prophetic vision. The, the heavens are open and he's in a trance and he's seeing the exile of Israel. No, no, not, not, no, not really. Moses goes like, I've been with you knuckleheads for 40 years. Here's what, I, if I was a betting man, here's, just look out for this, all right? You guys are going to get in the land, you're going to get all cushy, and you're going to remember that Midianite worship and those Midianite women, and you're going to like, you know what, we got this, it's Gucci, man, and you're going to start chasing after all this other stuff, and then God's going to kick your butts. But God's faithful, so you'll come back, but you have to clean your act up because I know you. Right? you yeah, because it's life. I mean, your parent, you as parents, you knew what your kids were getting into, right? Did God show you an open vision? Oh, no, you know, because you, you did it. You know them. They're your offspring. I mean, they may take after one or the other. Just, I'm just saying. So the exile thing is, is, but even as much as Moses knew, God knew. None of this stuff is a surprise to God. You know, I mean, he, he hopes it wouldn't happen, but it does, and he makes plans for it in, in the same way. So uh, then we have cities of refuge. Okay, then we have the Ten Commandments. Um, so we're not going to do like a super deep dive on the Ten Commandments, um, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about, because this is a matter of confusion. We talked about it Wednesday night. Um, the um, Miss Janice actually had a really cool printout um, that had three different numberings of the Ten Commandments. You're like, why does this matter? Well, it does matter. Um, three different numberings. There's a Jewish numbering, there's a Protestant numbering, and then there's a Catholic numbering, which I didn't even know that was a thing. But if, Do you have a copy of that with you? Okay. Anyway. Um, 
it, I, it, was, it was really interesting. And so what's the, first, what's the first of the Ten Commandments? Somebody tell me, what is it? You shall have no other God. Right? Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, but, but except it's not. <laughs> it, and the, the, the Jewish reckoning, the Ten Commandments um, are not Ten Commandments. Um, Kyle, do I have this right? Asret? Asaret Hadibrot is what is what this is called. Asaret Hadibrot. And it means so Dibrot Devar word. So it's the ten words, the ten sayings, or I really like the ten matters is how it's referred to in the Hebrew. Um, the ten matters. So when we look at the for instance the Jewish reckoning, the first commandment is verse six. I am yud your God, who has taken you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. That's the first, it's not even a commandment, right? But it's the first matter, and it's the biggest matter. If, if we don't square, if we don't believe that, then the other, the other matters or commandments don't matter, Right? They don't matter. If, if God is not the one we recognize as our deliverer and our redeemer, then the rest of them, who cares? Do what you want then, because he's not your God, right? You're not, you're not, you're not following him. So the first, the first matter is that Hashem is our God, our Elohim, the one who rescued us from the house of slavery. Um, and then the, the other matters follow after that. You, I'm sure you can look this up online, the different, it's just interesting. Um, but it is important that we get the first matter correct. Um, chapter 6. Uh, this is the commandment and the decrees and the ordinances of Hashem your God commanded to teach you to perform in the land which you are crossing, again, uh, to possess it. So that you will fear Hashem your God as are all the decrees and commandments that I command you, you, your child, your grandchild, all the days of your life, so your days will be lengthened. Um, you shall hearken, O Israel, and beware to perform, so that it will be good for you, so that you will increase very much as Hashem the God, a God of your forefathers, spoke for you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, is verse 4. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Um, this is the principal statement of faith um, in, in Judaism. And I think it goes along with the first matter of the Asaret Hadibrot. That he is God and he's the one that delivered us out of Egypt, out of slavery. He's God, he's the one and only. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Um, and then people have questions, and I try to explain this every once in a while. But when we say Shema, we say Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto Le'Alam Va'ed, right? And where do we get that? It's not in Scripture, um, and and it isn't. And traditionally, when that's said, Shema is said, and then uh, the the uh, Baruch is said after that. Um, generally, it's said in a whisper, with your eyes covered. Um, where does that come from? That comes from a temple. Uh, temple services where on the day of Yom Kippur the priest would say the tetragrammaton would say the name yud heh and every time I think ten times in the service 
And every time he did, everyone in the temple would fall prostrate on their faces and they would say, Baruch Shem Kivod Malhuto Le'olam Va'et. Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. Uh, or blessed be the glorious name of his kingdom, however you want to you translate it. Um, and so that temple tradition passed over into the prayer service whenever the temple were, was destroyed and that was a um, that was a, a, a kind of a remnant of that um, that when we say Shema and I want to I, I wish kind of more everybody was here uh, but um, when we say Shema it should be this this is think of it like a call to worship but it's even more than that this is our proclamation of who we are this is our identification with the God of Jacob. This is our, we're, we're not saying God, oh, yeah, I worship God. Which God? Like, we're, not, we're, we're, we're identifying ourselves with the God of Israel. And so when, when you say it in your prayer time during the day, it should, be, it should be very, no distractions, it should be very focused. And when we say it here, when, we, when I blow the shofar, the shofar is really the call to worship. When I blow the shofar, like wrap up the coffee getting and the 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 visiting and the you know that like let's try to wrap it up because when we say Shema, there really shouldn't be any chatter and talking. And we got kids and I understand, but we need to model that for our kids. Hey, get your behind over here. We're saying Shema. It's a serious thing. This is our proclamation of faith. And so when we say Shema, the overwhelming um, response in the temple was was. Baruch Kivot Vayet May his, you know, blessed be the glorious name of his kingdom forever and ever. Um, and, and they, like I said, they would fall, you know, prostrate on their faces and repeat that. Um, and so, Shema to listen. Again, talking about kids, you go like, "Hey, kids, listen, listen to that frog," and you go, "Hey, listen to me." Two different things, right? Two different things. Um, and then the what's called the Veahafta, Veahafta, and you shall love the Veahafta. Um, after after that, which we say most most Shabbat, um, beautiful. Let's see what else. Um, before the end of chapter six um, is about teaching the tradition to the children, the, the Torah tradition to the children. And I say this all the time: God may not have called us for us. I know some of you, some people, some of you, maybe some other, you get frustrated. You, you have some frustration because you're like, I'm in my 60s or 70s and I've been, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life. Now God wants to call me into this. Like, I'm, what am I, you know, how much changing can I do? And I don't know that's a legitimate concern for a lot of people. And the reality is you do the changing you can do because it's probably not about you. It's probably about your kids and their kids and the generations after, after us. Um, because the 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 covenant only survives if we pass it on. Period. Um, yes, God can reveal Himself to someone who's never known anything about Him. Absolutely. Um, but man, what a tragedy to have this covenant not pass it on to our kids. The, this this uh, this Torah. So um, then we get into uh, chapter seven, and it's only a few verses, eleven or so verses verses long. Um, so. Bingo, bango. We covered probably the most dense portion all of the Torah in 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it was. 
so much, so, so, so much we didn't cover. Um, but this, this Parsha is, I, when, I, when I was reading it this week, usually I study the Parsha with several resources and stuff. This one I just wanted to read. I just wanted to read it over and over because it was just like, it just felt good to read it. It's just one of, one of those. So, um, Father, we bless you for your, your word again, for your Torah, and we bless you for giving us access to it. And Father, also thank you for, um, for keeping us humble that we can, we can learn, hopefully, in a, a state of humility and accountability where we can really grow in wisdom. And um, I'm just so thankful for this group, for OAM, for what you're doing and creating. I don't understand it. I don't. I'm not. I can't plan anything. I don't know what what you're going to do next. But that's just fine because I'm excited about what's going on right now, and I just want to live in this moment and enjoy you and enjoy your people. And so, Father, I bless you for those watching live stream, our live stream family. So thankful for them and for their patience as we work out kinks. And uh, just pray that you bless, heal those that are sick, give strength to those that are caring for those that are sick, and, um, and uh, bring us back together next Shabbat. We bless you and we love you through Yeshua, our beloved Messiah. Amen and amen.